Hello and welcome to my uh, first ever podcast. Um, I'm the Tenacious Yeoman, a title, there we go, there's my phone, a title which I got uh, randomly uh, logging on to a game in Google and uh, one I thought, okay, it's appropriate for a, um, a grumpy old bloke who wants to talk about uh, issues of historical wargaming. Um, so if you're uh, looking for some stuff on fantasy or sci-fi uh, gaming, it's pro- this is not the place for you, unless you want to come to the, um, the light and start uh, looking at um, historical gaming as a hobby. And uh, it's a hobby that I encourage uh, you all greatly to look at. All right, so for this this first uh, podcast, I was going to keep it relatively short uh, and sweet, um, but then again, I have a tendency to waffle on, uh, as some of my former students uh, will, will would tell you, and uh, yeah, so it might end up being a lot longer than what it it is. Um, so this particular one, I did want to have a look at um, and look at the question of of why wargaming. Uh, why historical wargaming, um, how I fell into it, and uh, issues perhaps of, uh, of rules if you're new to the hobby uh, and are looking to get started. Okay, so um, for why wargaming, and in particular historical wargaming, and why how I fell into it, <clears throat> pardon me, a bit croaky today, the thing I've I've always had a fascination with history. I've um, even from a young age at school when history was brought up as a topic. When the teacher at the front said, "Right, we're going to start looking at a bit of history now." Uh, after doing maths, I, my brain started right switched on. Maths would never really switch me on, um, and so it was always for me a, a, a deep love, I suppose you could say. And sitting here, I'm just sitting. Any, I'll just add it now. Any uh, manufacturers, shops, um, companies that I p- might mention uh, during my my podcasts, the I don't get anything back from them. I have no association with them. I'm just a grumpy old bloke uh, who's in his mid fifties, uh, sitting in his games room at home. Um, with a desire to share some of his thoughts and um, ideas on historical wargaming. Um, I also have a blog if you look for uh, Frosty's Kennel uh, Wargaming, uh, you should be able to find my blog. Uh, it's a sort of odd title but one which I've had for quite a number of years and I named it after my, my dog, Frosty, and um, it just seemed to be something that stuck um, a number of gamers around actually sometimes refer to me as frosty as well but anyway so it's uh, that's another side to, to what I do so you can have a look on that one as well anyway so and I sort of said why for me historical wargaming is an extension of my love of history uh, it's also that desire to look at history in a different way you know when you can put a an historical battle uh, on a tabletop and try and recreate that and often come up with a different outcome to to what 
uh, actually occurred in history is, is quite an interesting and a fun thing to do. Um, yeah, sure, you know, we're, most of us are nerds um, and we're probably happier with a proper book with paper and pages and things like that than a, a video game or something like that or a playing card. Uh, you know, we have our love of the subject and our love of, of, of gaming. Uh, we enjoy each other's company. We enjoy rolling dice against each other across the table. And some of the, the most of the guys that I played against in my first competition back in uh, the early 80s, um, I still have a, a, a strong association with today. So um, develop good friendships out of it. Um, the other thing I've found ever since those those early days in talking to some of those gamers back then, um, wargaming for them was also a problem-solving exercise, um, a critical thinking exercise. And because you're looking at a table, you've got the terrain set out on the table, which is one part of the problem. Uh, you've got the scenario before you, which is the other part. How are you actually going to meet the criteria of that particular scenario? with the forces that you have available. And of course the other thing is that you you don't just actually have your forces, the table, the scenario, you've got your opponent as well sitting across from you or standing across from you who has got his own objectives as part of that scenario as well. And so for each of you, the problem you have to work out how am I best going to achieve my objectives um, while preventing the other person from achieving theirs or the other player from achieving theirs and therefore winning the game. Um, and as we know, walk, as our walk through life, um, problem-solving skills, critical thinking skills are important skills in our workplaces uh, that we um, use sometimes on a daily basis. So developing those skills at, a, at an early age uh, is, I've never thought, as being a bad thing. Um, I bought my first set of figures, they were um, airfix, they were Confederate infantry um, and my parents tried to hide them from me thinking I was getting into war toys. I found it interesting, they didn't just throw them out, they just hid them. Uh, and um, But I found soon, yes, I had Confederates, I needed Union uh, to go, there's something to fight against. I developed my own rules in the, on the kitchen table, on the, on the bed, on the out in the backyard. And, you know, you had a, as in most things, you have a winner and a loser. Um, in reality, you have a winner or a loser. Not everybody gets a prize in, re in real life. Anyway, um, enough about that bit. So, for me, it wasn't about war toys. Um, and in deep down, I, for my parents, I don't really think it was about war toys either. Um, and I developed that... Uh, and continued to develop it. In the 80s, I felt grown up when I started to buy metal figures rather than plastic figures. And my collection now encompasses uh, periods of history from the late Roman Empire uh, through to the Second World War. Uh, there are some periods that I don't really have a desire to play and game. I've never really had a big desire to play or game First World War, for example. Um, that's never... While it's a period of history, yes, that's interesting and um, has a very broad scope, it's not a period of that, um, that I really want to do on the gaming table. Uh, and I really haven't thought why, because the early period of the First World War is certainly very much a mobility 
war until they started developing uh, trench systems in, I think, December 1914. Um, and so, you, you know, you have different troop types, different uniforms. It's all very um, almost... Um, no, not quite Napoleonic. That'd be pushing it a bit too far, unless you look at French dragoon uniforms, which you know Napoleon probably would have looked at and gone, "Yep, that's that works." Uh, yeah, but it's just not something that I've gone and wanted to do on the table. Um, other things I'll, I won't game. Uh, for example, I refuse to um, paint or build uh, uh, SS from uh, Second World War. And the same way I refuse to paint or build Japanese from the Second World War. Um, I think there's a lot of issues, uh, particularly with the Japanese, going back to, through my family background, um, not through any racially motivated concepts or anything like that, um, but just some of those issues and, and uh, that uh, are deep-seated in our family and I just don't have a desire to do Japanese. Or, you know, for SS for the... which what should be for obvious reasons, but... Um, there seem to be a lot of people out there that want to glorify the SS on the tabletop and uh, I just don't you know, like that concept. Uh, but that's just me. Um, yeah, but anyway, so that's sort of uh, how I... Well, actually, I'm going to go off track again. Or sorry, swing back onto a track. Um, other areas, I'm not really interested in, in ultra-modern or modern war, war gaming, so... Periods like Vietnam, um, current conflicts around Afghanistan, um, you know, African bush wars, I just don't do anything for me as far as a gaming is concerned. Um, I know for a lot of friends I know who are um, ex-army and have served in, in uh, areas of operations, it, gaming those can be actually a bit of a, a, a tender area. And then, then there was periods of, of history that really interest me. Um, and there's aspects of First, uh, Second World War that don't really give me much interest either. Um, the Eastern Front, uh, no, it's just not something that really spikes my interest. Whereas early Second World War Western Front, um, German invasion of France, oh, yeah, okay, that's quite, it's quite interesting. Um, you know, the people are interested in different things for different reasons, and uh, that's just the way I go as well. Um, but my collection now, uh, you know, after starting off with that um, first set of Confederate infantry, uh, as I said, I've got, oh, pardon me, late period ancient Romans, uh, I've also got ancient Palmyrans, uh, I've got Normans, um, I've got armies from um, the French Indian War, the American War of Independence, um, American Civil War, uh, through to uh, Second World War plus Napoleonic period as well. Uh, so, you know, they're the things that I have in my collection. Uh, very early, as I said, you know, I had Confederates. Thought, yeah, you have to buy a Union to go with it. And when I was living out in Western New South Wales and was the only gamer in the area, historical gamer anyway, um, I soon realised that if I'm going to play solo, I'm going to need both sides. So for a number of uh, areas, so my late Romans, for example, work well with my Palmyrans as, as historical opponents. Um, one I forgot to mention, um, my Scottish army's government 
and royalist from the English Civil War period. I've got both sides with those. Um, the only thing I don't really have when I look at what I've got, I've never had a real desire to build Napoleonic French. Um, I've got British, I've got Brunswickers, uh, I've got Spanish, um, but I've never sort of had this desire to paint French. And usually because, in a lot of cases, um, French armies are, are in abundance. Everyone wants to paint the Imperial Guard and all the rest of that. And But that's never really been something of oh, French Napoleon. No, there's plenty of other people who can do that. But I had noticed in recent years in competitions that we hold at CanCon, which is our uh, primary gaming convention here in Australia, that the primary armies are not French. They're actually Russian. And I think the majority, certainly this year, um, the majority of armies were, were Russian and no one turned up with a French army. I thought that was rather intriguing. Uh, even though the availability out there of French figures, whether they're in metal or plastic, um, through whatever manufacturer, whether it be Victrix, Warlord Games, Perry's, um, they're there. And uh, so that's it, an interesting thought. But anyway, um, so for me, uh, and I look back when I started gaming, there was not much out there. Um, you, mostly airfix figures for young kids starting up. Um, if you were really serious, you got into metals with minifigs. Rules were mostly sort of um, almost big battle rule sets from mobs like uh, WIG uh, or War Games Research Group. Um, and the first set of rules I played of theirs was um, their 1685 to 1845 rule set, uh, which was published in 1979, I believe. And, I mean, as there's a, a version in Australia, um, the Australian version, which has had, had things added to it, taken out of it, um, which I still play today and still get a lot of enjoyment out of. Um, but even that one is sort of a large battle rule set generally you've got a couple of hundred figures per side um, from my recollections looking back to then there wasn't a lot in the way of skirmish games um, unless you were looking at sort of maybe medieval period or or sci-fi fantasy type games but now there's a whole range of, of things so if you're looking at um, and your enjoyment is uh, ancient or, or late um, or Dark Ages, you've got um, games like um, Lion Rampant and Saga, which are sort of large-scale skirmish-type um, games, or um, Dux Britanniarum and things like that. Uh, you've got companies now like, um, for this period, so Two Fat Lardies, which is a British company, um, developing their own YouTube channel where they're actually explaining the rules on YouTube and how... You, you can work through the rules. I'll talk a bit more about them later. Um, you've also got groups like um, Beasts of War, which um, mainly fantasy and, and sci-fi. And When they drift into the historical areas, they're really drifting into areas that they don't really know a lot about. Um, and so I'm a bit wary of them as far as historicals. But they do like unboxing of of figure sets or terrain and bits and pieces or you know rule reviews and stuff rule reviews uh like that oh. <laughs> uh, it hasn't been that long a day um that you know can guide you through their rule sets and what they do uh other sets out there so if you're looking at 
sort of horse and musket period. You've got uh, a range of rules, uh, I think recently Chosen Men, uh, published by Osprey. You've got Muskets and Tomahawks, published by Studio Tomahawk. And you've got uh, Sharp Practice 2, published again by Two Fat Lardies. And, you know, that only need 30 to 40 figures per side. Uh, and there are, you know, it's a, it's a cheap alternative uh, in starting up wargaming. Uh, pro progressing through. So if you're transferring from, say, fantasy, sci-fi, you know, these are rules that are, are good to get onto. And because you might have seen, even if you meet in a club, guys that play these games. Um, and even jumping forward to Second World War, uh, you've got Bolt Action, which is a Warlord Games Osprey publication, uh, and um, Chain of Command, which is another Two Fat Lardies one as well. Um, I like Two, two Fat Lardies. Their um, concept of playing the period, not the rules, I think is an important one. And too often uh, we see pictures of gamers and they're, instead of rolling dice, they're pouring over the minuato the rules uh, trying to work out who's right and who's wrong and I think that takes away from the social element of the game but that's uh, another story for another um, podcast anyway uh, so the, and two fat lardies with their rules it's if you uh, bolt action is, is very gamey um, if you're familiar with some of the more popular um uh, sci-fi games out there bolt action will feel comfortable for you and it's probably a good crossover into historical gaming um, the model for that is very much a games workshops model um, you buy the rule book you then buy uh, the books for each for nationality so for example um, if I wanted uh, if I'm playing early war French which I do have then I'll buy the French and Allies book from early war period. The only thing that narks me about those things is that, you know, yeah, sure, I'm buying the early war French bit. I don't want the Dutch, the Polish, the resistance, the other bits. Um, so I'm only buying, I'm buying a book for a very, for needing a very small section of it. Um, and then if I want Germans as an opponent, because uh, I sort of mentioned before I like to have both sides. Um, so I've got early war Germans up there. I've then got to go out and buy the German book as well. Now, the German book might actually include late war stuff, which I'm not interested in. Um, I just want the early war bit. So again, I'm buying a book for a very small, uh, um, for significant outlay, but only really wanting a small part of it. China Command's rules and Two Fat Lardies twist that around a bit, um, quite a bit. Uh, you buy the rules. If you want the army list, you go online and download them. Uh, if I want the France 1940 list, that's the only one I have to download, and it's free off their website. Okay, so there's advantage in there that I can actually download that rule set for free. I can download the German list as well for free, and I can actually spend more money on figures and terrain. That's got to be a win. Okay, so um, they're those sorts of things that um, uh, to consider, and there, there are a number of rule sets that you probably consider um, if you're taking that leap from fantasy into historical, or you're just starting off into historical as well, rather than jumping in with buying a, a rule set like Black Powder where, or where you need you know, hundreds of figures and 12-foot wide tables and great expanses of space, um, you can get into some of these more the smaller skirmisher games, size games, and, and, and have a lot of fun with those. 
and especially <clears throat> if you don't take them too seriously, uh, they can really be uh, a joy. Uh, I mean, some of the rule sets I've mentioned, uh, sharp practice too before, um, and even its original version, sharp practice one. The development of characters um, can be a really fun part of the game. Uh, and using those characters can be just that extra little storyline to your games uh, that makes them a bit more fun and exciting um, to work with. So um, they're just some things to consider. Um, but in the end, I think if you're looking at just jumping into a popular game for Dark Ages, certainly, definitely Saga, um, or it's now more, uh, I think it's the new rule set that came out a couple of years ago, um, uh, Crescent and Cross, which has a focus on um, the Crusades. Um, if you're looking at um, Horse and Musket period, a, a really, really popular one is uh, Muskets and Tomahawks, although it's starting to sort of fade off. I've got a theory that most rule sets have a lifespan of three to five years. Um, so Muskets and Tomahawks is probably coming to the end of its, its, its time. Um, and sharp practice is probably more starting to take over uh, where muskets and tomahawks was. Um, and muskets and tomahawks focus very much on French Indian Wars, War of Independence. You can stretch it out to um, uh, War of 1812, whereas uh, sharp practice covers those areas, um, but it also sort of leads into the areas such as the Indian Mutiny, the Napoleonic period, and things like that. But specifically, as I say, skirmish size. Um, and when we look at a skirmish, we're looking at that maybe initial confrontation between small groups of, of troops from a, an army. We may be looking at the, the action that's going on um, on the flanks of an army uh, of a major battle uh, or actions between skirmishes in the middle of between the two battle lines. Uh, it'd be a mistake to try and say with, say, um, um, Muskets and Tomahawks, for example, that the um, you know the unit of figures of, of eight to twelve figures you've got there represents a battalion. That's not what those and skirmish style rules are are about. Um, you know that eight to ten figures on the table can represent eight to ten men as individuals, or maybe twenty to thirty men as in, uh, you know. Uh, so they're not meant to be. Um, a big battle rule set and if some people make the mistake of trying to drag them into that big battle section uh, the same with uh, the Second World War I mean the two rules I've mentioned um, bolt action and chain of command they are based around a reinforced platoon so 30 to 40 men perhaps with tank support maybe uh, artillery support anti-tank support aircraft support to actually go sort of go and sort of stretch those out to make them a company size game um, is probably pushing the boundaries of what the rules can do and where they and what they're designed for. Uh, so it's it's sort of careful, my thoughts are anyway, some people may differ and argue that if you're sticking with, you're buying a rule set that's a platoon size rules, stick with that because once it starts to get too big it gets to be unwieldy and uncomfortable. And sometimes you'll see at conventions um, large multiplayer games and they're played with rules that are designed for um, platoon size, but they're sort of playing, okay, 
three players on one side, three players on the other side. Each player has a platoon. Platoon, the whole thing's representing a company. That sort of thing can work um, because it's a multiplayer and you still have your platoon. You're the platoon commander commanding that, that platoon, but you're under orders from your, your company commander, so it follows that structure. But anyway, um, but when you're playing one-on-one, uh, stick to what they're designed for. All right, well, I've waffled on now for about 25 minutes nearly, and uh, I hope you've enjoyed my waffles, my coughs, my sneezes, my other bits and pieces, my yawns. And uh, in between those, you've, you've got something out of that, that uh, um, to think about. I, look, if you're new to gaming, new to historical gaming, jump on YouTube. There is loads and loads of things there. Um, there's a company called Wargame Soldiers and Strategy uh, that has some really excellent how-to-paint um, video clips. And especially if you're just doing skirmish armies they are spot on they're great um, two fat ladies if you're looking at their rules there's rule uh, they've got their own video uh, YouTube channel that sort of works through um, their gaming systems and how to play them um, and yeah go and hunt and find things uh, click into YouTube find channels and uh, and see where it takes you uh, there's I'd say there's other podcasters out there who look at historical gaming. Uh, I know there's ones out there for fantasy and sci-fi. Um, and, you know, search has some fun. Uh, and if you're down at your local friendly gaming store, have a look, see what people, what other people are playing. If you're looking across and seeing this, you know, uh, Norman Knights trying to charge up against a Saxon horde, go and talk to the guys, find out what they're playing. Um, and ask to join in and most gamers will only be too happy to say yeah, here, 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 have a you control these guys and, and let's go off and have some fun maybe not try it at a convention or, or, a, uh, or a, a competition usually in competition based uh, conventions people are a bit more serious uh, but then again um, you, if you're ever wandering past my tables um, well, not that you know what I look like uh I'm always happy to talk to gamers who are intrigued by what we're playing. Um, and, uh, you know, I often have... Actually, I remember years ago, I, I had my Brunswick Army playing uh, in a competition. Uh, it was you know, early 90s. And um, this guy, a couple of guys, they'd wandered up. We were playing up on a stage at a competition called Moab, um, which was run by Southern Battle Gamers in Sylvania in Sydney. And it's their annual... Uh, event um, usually in October and these guys wandered up from playing their Warhammer game and they were just having a look at ours and they spotted mine and um, you know it was a comment like oh guys all in black how cool is that and we got into a conversation and they watched the game for a while and and they were quite intrigued and, and um, yeah it was you, you come across these things at conventions where gamers look at each other's games and go wow that looks really cool well, that looks really, hmm. But anyway, um, talk to the guys that play um, and, uh, and take it from there and see what um, grabs you and grabs your interest and, uh, and, 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 and see how it goes. It's a fun journey. I've enjoyed my journey every step of the way. Um, I've had some massive win, uh, wins at comps. I've had some massive defeats. Um, 
but each one it's been something different and no game is ever the same. You can play the same game twice, same scenario twice, with the same armies twice against the same opponent and you'll always end up with a different result because every time you suddenly discover, oh, if I move my guys that way, I might be able to open that, that little chink around there and, and away it goes. Um, so anyway, thank you for listening. Um, my name is the Tenacious Yeoman. Um, I hope you, again, uh, that you enjoyed this little podcast. I was going to keep it short. I think 30 minutes isn't too bad for being a short first ever attempt at a, um, a podcast. Uh, if you are looking at other things, yeah, please go and have a look at my um, my blog site um, on Frosty's Kennel uh, Wargaming. Uh, not just Wargaming, it has some history stuff in there as well, which I probably will do here uh, as well. And I'll have some uh, rants and raves about uh, different aspects of history and one topic which I might look at for the next one um, the concept of uh, history versus folk history um, so I'll leave that one in your minds for a while if there's anybody listening of course which I hope there will be anyway take care and see you next time bye This podcast was brought to you by the Tenacious Yeoman. Uh, any companies, uh, products uh, that I've mentioned throughout this podcast, I'm not being sponsored by, and they are purely independent comments from myself. Okay, thank you again. Bye.